Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Summary is significantly more work than I've ever done for this podcast, so I I can't really cast aspersions. Especially oh, this film, fair. I don't know how you. There's like 19 things you can talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess introducing this film, it's, but it's, it's got it's a right. pretty straightforward conceit. I'll say at least we were talking yes. about that. It's just sort guy of the guy do goes thing. down the river. He's on a mission. Those are the best. It's look, a kind of a fantastic I mean, we're, we're, conceit the for the a movie. Is is in theaters right now? That's a you know is that a guy goes a similar, down the river movie. No, but it's, it's a, a metaphorical it's a guy, river. Hmm. It's 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 a guy doing a, th- a thing. Those are the best <laughs> guy doing a thing movies. Those are the those are my favorite kinds of movies. Guys it's doing a thing show. way better than Hero. a woman Before, doing a thing movie. That's for sure. Oh, hmm. Right? Right, uh, Aaron? I you fucking sicko. Say that. I wouldn't like kill I like kill Bill. That's a movie about a guy doing a thing, you know? That that gets Oh, gender genre, neutral right? guy. Oh, is it Bill yeah. <laughs> in this situation yeah. that's torturing him? Yeah, he's being murder, an asshole. trying to murder yeah. his no, 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 former girlfriend. No, 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 of course not. It's the bride, but it's, you know, it's a movie. It's a guy doing a thing. It's where it's gender neutral. It's just a general. We're, we're concept. from the Midwest, so we can thing. use "guy" in a gender neutral way in that context. Did you see that tweet? Yeah, there was like a tweet fella, tweet yeah, about folks. that today, where somebody was just like, "I have to put my foot down and say you guys is gender neutral," and was like, "All right, I, I guess." <laughs> you know, there's the Ohio, Minnesota, yeah. Wisconsin, and Michigan. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of of guys doing stuff, just want to confirm before we get too far. Everybody did watch the final cut, right? The three hour. Indeed, indeed. The final funny, cut, it's not. like a brisk. Yeah. Why do you guys keep me? talking about the French? What the fuck? <laughs> um, blank stare from Aaron. Oh, no, he didn't watch it. Um, no, actually, uh, the French thing was in the Redux cut, so bad joke, no, Harry. Actually, ter- it is in both, yeah. Okay, That's I was going mean. to say, you, if, did you find out Jason watched the Redux? Been, so so yeah. I heard is that there's actually less in the final cut than there is uh, in I the will, Redux look, cut. Okay, hey, bud, we'll mm-hmm. get there. Okay, how about you? We go will get there. Just about wow, when will we get there here on the pod? Um, uh, just a bunch of guys doing things here on Trilove. Literal Roundtable Podcast it is about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Find the Trilon itself at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Uh, you can get tickets there or you can get them at the box office. You can get a bunch of merch and club memberships and rentals and all sorts of other cool stuff the Trilon has expanded into over the last few years. But check it all out at Trilon.org, including a schedule uh, that includes a lot of movies like this one. It's playing as part of, I believe, the Larry Fishburne series, right? His early career. Uh, You'll find him on a boat in this movie, which I won't reveal the name of, um, but I will simply say uh, that uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. I help make this show. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus, uh, and I don't have a line, but thank you. That's pretty good. That song yeah, doesn't even play good. in this movie, though. Yeah, it's like the only but, but it does. Movie. Like yeah. it doesn't play. Yeah, you can hear it. Level it does. You hear it sure. anyway. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. There, uh, there are no great uh, quotes in this movie. <laughs> Sorry, Cody. So I could see why you <laughs> no, were able not. to get a quote out of this <laughs> He's one. Not absolutely not. <clears throat> uh, I am a rock and roller with one foot in my grave. Uh, two now after that uh, harsh jab. Uh, I'm Cody Narvison. You can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. 
I'm Harry Mackin, but I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of Silent Seas. You can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. Try love. Shit. Uh, you can find me, uh, Aaron, on Twitter <laughs> at RB, please. Uh, real quick, before we continue, actually, uh, I, uh, uh, again, do, did not go to the trial out for this. Obviously, don't live in Minnesota. Uh, illegally downloaded uh, the final cut of this film that I will introduce in a minute and uh, uh, just played the file. There were no other files in the, <laughs> the wait, 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 download. Wait. Did you have the same experience I did? Go ahead. But potentially and just playing the file and it's playing at the beginning. There's the, you know, weird kind of prog rocky music. Mm-hmm. Uh, fucking Martin Sheen's face is up there. There's the the temple in the background kind of fading in. And then he goes to the window and, and it's uh, it turns it's the it's the Italian dub of the film. And he, he <laughs> yes. says whatever the he says, like Saigon. Hey, a Saigon. <laughs> just like the five minute you know lead up of him just like in a drunken state in his hotel leading to the punchline of i'm listening to the wrong audio track and did not (laughs) until now very funny very funny Uh, the only way it would be better sounds nothing like him the only way it would be better is if it was the french dub and then you could have been like saigon merde (laughs) that would have been pretty good (laughs) yeah yeah um, we've we've gotten very close to revealing the name of this podcast. Which, if you didn't read the episode title, I really admire you. You uh, you've listened to this podcast based on Provenance alone, without even looking at the title. You downloaded or streamed. Uh, congrats to you. But I will say, I will call out my uh, co-hosts here because there are at least two solid quotes that I would have used if I didn't have that uh, fortunate son thing. I'm the asshole of the world, and I'm just a little man. <laughs> like, come on, it's iconic, iconic parts of that movie that are in every cut. Those of the are the movie. only two iconic lines only two, in this movie. Only so two. It's... The only two that exist. Uh, and no others have appeared on AFI's best uh, of... You, did you know this This movie appeared psychotically on Entertainment Weekly's list of the top 10 surfing Oh, you fucking ruined it, films? asshole. That was going to yeah, be the yeah, end of I, my intro. Oh, oh, fuck off. I yeah, actually well, did whatever. joke at the end of my intro I, was I was going to say that. I actually kind uh, of can't wait to start to talk about the commercialism of this movie because I low-key kind of think it's the best part of the movie in some ways. It is. It is. There are many directions we can take this. We're going to try and streamline. But for right now, I need to hand off to Aaron for the patented Aaron Grossman summary, which he actually introduces himself. Yes, indeed, folks. Yes. God damn it. I always say yes, indeed, <laughs> over the clip of you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we, we're talking, folks, we're talking about Apocalypse Now, 1979 film uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. The film is loosely based on Joseph Conrad's 1899 novella, Heart of Darkness. Uh, we are specifically talking about the final cut, which was uh, released in 2019, uh, kind of the 40th anniversary. Final cut? It you mean my nephew's shown. Briss? Okay. That was somebody already made one of those. Did I somebody did. already made a joke? Okay. I, I, I did it twice. Uh, I double dipped on the Jason's original. Jason's shown at uh, Tribeca. Thinking about circumcision, he can't think about film. anything there's, else. There's Unfortunately, Jesus there's a th- line of thought going undergoing all of my active, like, mm-hmm. top brain shit yeah. that is just like, yeah, what what reference we to, have so much circumcision, to male circumcision can I make? Yeah, we have, we, we have so much seven to minutes doing this already. No, I'd appreciate if we stuck with the circumcision a bit yeah. longer. Fellas. Well, look, man, I, I mean, you don't have to worry because the the movie's fucking three hours long, so we're not going to go over the runtime. We've only ever what done the that. Like, uh, the final are you telling me this, sir, is cum sized? Yes. Thank you. The uh, original film, uh, about 20 minutes shorter. Uh, so the original film released in 1979, uh, Francis Ford Coppola would, would go on to um, uh, release the uh, Apocalypse Now Redux in 2001, which was a, a version of the film that was kind of recut up. It had 40 minutes of extra footage. Uh, specifically, there's a scene with uh, Playboy bunnies, and then there's another large scene that we'll probably talk about uh, on a kind of French uh, colonial plantation. 
Um, the final cut was released in 2019 after a lot of people thought that the extra scenes in the Redux, although good and maybe fitting in certain ways, maybe kind of killed some of the uh, kind of the momentum of the film and, and, you know, maybe wasn't edited as well, things like that. So final cut, cut 20 minutes back from Redux. It is three hours long. Um, some people consider it definitive. Some people prefer Redux, theatrical, whatnot. Uh, the film itself is set during the Vietnam War in 1969. Uh, stars Martin Sheen as Army Captain Ben Willard, uh, who is ordered to travel on a Navy patrol boat up the Nung River through Vietnam to Cambodia, where he is to find and assassinate uh, the rogue Special Forces Colonel uh, Walter Kurtz, played by Marlon Brando, um, who has gathered a kind of a um, kind of slightly, I guess, ragtag group of American uh, Montagnard and uh, Keimer uh, soldiers uh, in order to kind of wage this brutal, uh, unsanctioned guerrilla warfare against the Viet Cong. Uh, the film also stars Robert Duvall in a very memorable uh, role as Lieutenant Colonel Bill Kilgore, uh, Frederick Forrest as Engine Man Jay Hicks, Albert Hall as Chief Petty Officer George Phillips, Sam Bottoms as Gunner's Mate Lance B. Johnson, and of course, uh, the, the reason that we're watching the film, Lawrence Fishburne as Gunner's Mate Tyrone Mr. Clean Miller. Uh, this was Fishburne's Third film role. Um, he started uh, filming it when he was fourteen. He lied and said that he was eighteen. You got to be like, kidding me! Get a role oh in this God. movie. That makes so uh, much sense because he's like nigh on yes. unrecognizable because he's so he, young. I in literally this movie. forgot. It's fucking that, that crazy. Was him while there are a couple it. times where he like exclaims he or he shouts a, out, and he sounds he's so very much looking. like he, very he, current. Yeah, but. Even so, like he's su such a baby in this movie, and it works super well for his performance and his role. But uh, yeah, yes. that was startling. Yeah. He 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 did the thing that a lot of uh, people actually did in order to go fight war early, lying about their age. <laughs> uh, but he wow. was actually eighteen when the film came out because this had such a long, fucked up uh, shoot. Um, that another point to bring up: Apocalypse Now is known for its um, extremely kind of tense, grueling, maddening. Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, film shoot. There's a documentary about it. Uh, Hearts of Darkness. That's that's fairly famous. Maybe maybe the most uh, famous documentary about the making of a film ever made. Right. Or it's, at least it's up there. Um, yeep, yes, probably. Yeah, that's put probably me on the spot the about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking um, as somebody who doesn't know. Today, the film is considered one of the greatest ever made. Really kind of impossible to overstate how well regarded the film is. In 2002, Entertainment Weekly ranked it as having one of the 10 best surfing scenes in cinema. That was the bit at the end there, Jason. Anyway, that's take, a pretty good bit. Take it that's away. I'll take it away uh, by just like it is a big, big movie. Um, you have conversations of uh, like, obviously, and anti-war is like the clearest through line for the movie. But you've got actually like the final cut i realized i lied to cody the other day i thought i owned the final cut i do in fact not um i must have bought the blu-ray before the final cut was released uh, 2017 or something um so this movie introduced a few I'm, well i mean the version that i've watched I just i'm it. guessing came out in 2017 2018 because it's not even the redux it doesn't have any of the french stuff in it is what i was so you, you just have a blu-ray of the theatrical it seems like i yeah. probably do it's like it came out as definitive it must have been like the 30 or 35th anniversary or something anyway um so I didn't get any of that stuff the first time around, uh, but there's still like, you know, uh, the, the hierarchies that, that they don't matter in in any war, how it's more or less a tool just for empire to further its interests, that kind of thing. Um, the colonial angle is very interesting and very like red button highlighted in this cut of the movie um, with a whole diversion into uh, a French territory of, of Cambodia. 
Um, I really love the use of space uh, to like use like as as a place to as, as room to like grow and express and become as, like literally in the frame of the movie. I think it's set from that very first scene where Martin Sheen's dancing around the room and punching the mirror and everything. I think it's just like a really intentional, consistent tone. Um, I have a lot of other thoughts about the directions we could go with this movie, but we've already got a hand up. I'll uh, I'll let Aaron take it from here. Yeah, I'll jump in. I'll just say I uh, I had seen uh, I first saw the theatrical cut freshman year of college. Um, Cody may have been there for that. I don't know. It's a good, Cody, were you? Did you watch this in the dorms with me freshman year of college? I, potentially, I don't think, I think so. Josh and I, I maybe saw this one. Yeah, yeah, that seems more likely. I because I, I was thinking back. I think I've seen this movie three times, but each time it was a different cut. Um, sure. Obviously, the final okay. cut for this one, the theatrical, the most recent. The first time I saw this was the Redux, which yikes. Um, but yeah, please yeah. continue. So so I, I will say that I saw the theatrical. I saw the Redux a little while after that. This is my first time seeing the final cut. Uh, my understanding of the, the kind of general consensus just from looking around is that I think most people, uh, you know, kind of the opposite of like a Lord of the Rings situation where all the nerds kind of yell at you to watch the extended versions. I think most people... Uh, they're at least kind of loud and vocal on the internet, uh, say that the theatrical is the best version of this film, that it's the most kind of tightly focused and edited. And, and um, you know, there is kind of maybe a, a momentum to it, despite it being kind of slow and meandering, not in a bad way at times. Right. Um, I kind of disagree. I, I think that the final cut is kind of, in my opinion, the best version of this film. I think hmm. um, I, I see why certain uh scenes that were in redux that have been shortened or left out here uh were you know kind of removed in that manner um i think the stuff that is here that is not in uh uh the theatrical cut is for the most part positive um there's like little stuff here and there that i can kind of see the argument for and against i think that this is a uh you know sufficiently like complicated but also like generally artistic film where somebody interpreted certain scenes as taking away from from this or that like it's kind of hard to argue against that but i think in general um specifically the plantation scene i really really like uh yeah. i think it is it is for me kind of a i think maybe a bit of a key to this movie and that kind of helps redeem it a little bit against some of the the kind of classic criticisms of it it's like um, it's like the movie so, that, or it's like the scene that makes it not Heart of Darkness in a way, right? It's like the scene that, yes. that makes it like a sequel well, to Heart of Darkness in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, I think that the 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 counter, you know, Heart of Darkness or the counter Apocalypse Now is a, a film from the perspective of it's, uh, you know the things Vietnamese, fall apart, uh, but, which it's not yeah. that right. Yes, uh, uh, things fall apart, which is the that's always kind of annoyed me. That gets held up as like the anti Heart of Darkness. It's, it's so like, good it's, on its own, like just fucking read it. Yes, like <laughs> yeah. criticized Heart of Darkness, but also like yeah, it's like you just read those two in like you know middle school or whatever, and that's like that's how you learn about. Did you read African, Heart of Darkness uh, literature in middle is, school? Uh, that's wild, maybe, like dude. freshman year of high school. Okay, like yeah, yeah I mean, I, I thought it was so. high school. That's pretty like, cool. I, I read it. In, I read it in fourth grade, but that's pretty. That's pretty cool too. Okay. Yeah, Jason's read, never read a book. Picture book version, the picture book version. That'd be funny. Yeah, the picture um, book version of Hard Darkness. Yes, that but sounds I'll, horrifying. I'll, actually, I would love to see that. To 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 agree with Harry, I think that like yes, this is you know I and we'll we'll touch on it, but like the, this has been a film that has gotten criticized for its 
uh, portrayal of, of warfare. Uh, it's gotten criticized for uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of hyper focus on, uh, you know, these American soldiers that are that are traveling up this river and that some of the other portrayals in the film, specifically of the, you know, uh, the Vietnamese and whatnot, um, the the indigenous group, the Montagnard, which I'm probably mispronouncing, um, that that those are like somewhat ahistorical and, and, and kind of, you know, are there for plot and symbolic reasons that are maybe a little problematic. And I think that those, those criticisms are fair. I think that like the plantation stuff does not redeem all of that stuff, but I think it, it helps like add extra context that I view as helpful. And also is uh, a long cinema fan. I think that three hours of this kind of, you know, hellish descent into uh, the underworld, like, I think something about having those extra like 20 minutes kind of helps. Also, I agree with that. Yeah, it's worth noting too that like specifically the French scene is so fucking uncomfortable. It's so surreal, right? Like all of a sudden you're just at a dinner table with a bunch of people arguing in French and you're like, wait, what yes. movie am I watching? It like works so well from that sort of disorienting perspective as well. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I guess I'll just, I don't even know really where to start with this movie. I was kind of intimidated to talk about it. Uh, I think this is the second time. Also, yeah, I've seen it. I think I've only I feel seen the I feel on top of it. theatrical cut. You just said it was anti-war. That was like your big takeaway. <laughs> that was like the, uh, that okay. was my take. <laughs> um, but, uh, I think that um, the last time I saw it, I was in high school because I was reading Heart of Darkness, and that's the thing you do when you're pretentious and in high school is you watch this movie to compare and contrast. Um, It was really gratifying to return to it, especially to see the uh, final cut, especially like knowing what I know now, which I'm by no means an expert, right? But I know a lot more about colonialism and imperialism and the history of both of those things and the history of both of the empires that are being critiqued um, in Heart of Darkness and in... uh, apocalypse now and that really does transform the watching experience a lot um it's interesting that you brought up the criticism of um how this movie portrays the vietnamese uh and the particularly vietnamese villagers but also the Viet Cong and also the the Khmer rouge uh people who join up with uh kurtz and the um indigenous vietnamese people as well um i think that uh i like I said, I'm, I'm by no means an expert and I, I think criticisms are valid, but that was one of the big things that stuck with me this time around is that to me, my sort of um, bird's eye view take on this movie is that it functions as a criticism of American adventurism and American um, cultural imperialism uh, and particularly as Hollywood functions as a, a tool for that. And so I think it's kind of a really fascinating indictment of the way that American movies are made that the char- like the Vietnamese in this movie are so incidental, right? Like the way that they are killed on camera, even the way that they're blown away, the way that like they are so such non-entities in a movie that is presumably about them, even as Kurtz and even as um, Willard talk about them in such like deifying terms or such um, like uh, impressed terms. Like it's so clear to everybody, to all the soldiers who are fighting in this movie that like the enemy is totally incidental. What they're doing there is totally incidental. This is purely a form of imperialist, um aggression and the um 
subsumation of one country's will by another. And that's what they're there for. And that's what they want to do. Um, and I, I think that like making this movie set in Vietnam and centering it so specifically on American soldiers and the, the sort of tragic story of American descent in Vietnam and totally uh, it, it, as a as a major American movie uh, created with major American dollars and major American funding, right? This was like the one of the most famous movies before it was released ever to be released, right? Like I think that like he like everybody involved was a celebrity. The the um length of the runtime was famous. People started talking even before the movie came out about how like oh like art is starting to reflect reality. Like all these people are losing their minds in the jungle, right? Like there was all this talk about Francis Ford Coppola being like a real like tyrant, not unlike Kurtz. There was all of this talk about like how Dennis Hopper and Marlon Brando didn't get along on the shoot and couldn't be seen with one another. And like all of these, if you'll forgive the pun, dark rumors that circulated around this movie. I think that's a big part of the effect of watching this movie is to like, to really like bring home that like, Oh, like, the American incursion into Vietnam was not really about Vietnam at all. It was about creating the circumstances in which Americans could go on their international adventures for economic and cultural reasons. And all of the characters in this movie are reacting to uh, being affected by that and realizing that in some ways. And I, I think that um, like kind of unfortunately, right. I think that, that like the, incident like the the grossly negligent incidental quality of the way that the vietnamese are portrayed in this movie is kind of for an effect for that effect in in my opinion right like we are supposed to watch this movie and, and watch the sort of lack of irony or lack of awareness of irony on the part of the characters in what they're doing and how um what non-entities their enemies are to the point where they're pretty much interchangeable. And we're supposed to sort of take away from that what it actually looks like to wage an imperialist war and why an imperialist war is waged, particularly in the 20th century. Um, by the way, that that was my big thing for the um, the French, is that I don't think I've ever seen a movie articulate the difference between colonialism and imperialism. Uh, and it's a really fascinating scene for that. And also a really funny, ironic scene, right? Because, like, of course, the French and French colonialism is fucking monstrous. Like, the people in that scene are monsters. But even they are like, hey, like, at least we fucking live here. Like, you guys don't even want anything with this place. Like, you're just here to do what you're doing, and then you're going to leave. And it's like, you know, like... Say what you will, but like the difference between 19th century colonialism and 20th century imperialism, like that's not a bad point on the part of the fucking monstrous French people is that like, hey, like you can't even articulate what you're doing here and why you're fighting. At least we're being honest and we just want these resources and shit. Um, I, I thought that that was really fascinating and a really good sort of update to the heart of darkness critique of colonialism and imperialism. Um, but uh, Cody, you said you'd seen this movie three times, right? Have you seen all three of the, t the um, cuts? Yeah. So each, uh, each of the cuts uh, I've seen only once, I guess uh, I should say there's also just looking at Wikipedia, the first assembly sort of bootleg cut, which is a couple years long or something. No, I think I saw 289 minutes or, or something like that. Yeah. It's like six hours. Yeah, have not got my hands on on that juicy uh, bootleg cut. But if anybody's in the market, um, hit me up. No, so yeah, seeing each of those and like pretty 
well spaced out, like many, many years between um, each each instance of me kind of revisiting this. Uh, and this is going to sound like the most inane, just like duh thing ever, but man, a, a movie just so like comprised uh it's it has like perfectly composed chapters it's such a beautifully composed movie and the fact that like a lot of these sequences the sequences work um extremely well uh like independently but i just I, I found them to be so much more richer than i remember them being even like willard's kind of introduction obviously like the not just the opening of the movie, but like him in his hotel room, um, the Kilgore sequence, uh, of course, the the asshole of the world uh, scene was was really striking. Can't wait to, me to this talk time about around. that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and those um, just kind of punctuated by uh, Kurt's, you know, the the myth making, uh, the the research sort of process. Um, but but each of those scenes playing into this. Um, you know, this, this critique, you know, adding a new barb to what, um, this movie is, you know, is ultimately going for the, you know, everybody's, everybody's jumpy at everything. Um, (laughs) chef just about, you know, it has a fucking heart attack when he sees a a cat in the jungle, um, because he thinks he thinks he's going to die. Um, very plainly there's a, I don't know, you ride those sort of emotional beats, um, consistently yeah uh, nobody knows how to interact around people to where the the foremost uh you know primal urges you know when a a, a playboy bunny shows up it's like well obviously they're just gonna like rush them and, <laughs> and try to uh take down a helicopter i guess spoilers for a later segment at the end of the show I, I really enjoyed that scene as well um the you have to treat war like a game you have to desensitize in order to like get there that's i don't know so like all the all the shit coming back to it um it's it i don't know it, it ages super well the i guess my takeaway from the the plantation sequence just with that still kind of kicking around um visually and not to say that they don't do this at all. And like, I think um, Chief uh, has a few instances, uh, instances of looking directly at the camera. Um, but that's like the, by like a lot of what this uh, French woman's character. I'm so sorry for I forgot her name in the movie. But like coming out of being plucked from the you know the the horrors of the horrors the horrors of the river and sitting at, not just sitting at a table listening to these french people uh this french family bicker with one another um including with willard but then just like across like being under a fucking microscope uh, and you really feel that from the way that that she's framed um it's like sort of off-centered and she's staring directly into the lens um obviously presumably at uh, at willard and he his ga- he doesn't match her gaze i think that's another like pointed um sort of thing you know like I don't know, like from him punching a mirror at the end of the movie, at the beginning of the movie, rather to him being um, just like stared at by somebody who's not like, you know, actively in this, this sort of hellish world that he, that he finds himself uh, in with his, with his shipmates. Um, a really nice, uh, if anything else, visual flavor. Uh, and I think plays favorably into his kind of um, Willard sort of arc uh, throughout this movie. But yeah, I don't know, I'm just kind of shooting from the hip at this point. Uh, it's a good movie um i don't know jason is that a hot take would you agree with that let's debate you know uh i think it just says like you know fuck war kind of thing it's like it's not good anymore uh what what is it good for this Um, i I was gonna say this movie would have been more successful if it had been published under its original title war colon what is it good for and if if on instead of ride of the valkyries if they just had that edwin star song if it kind of like shared a little bit of dna with rush hour one and two i i mean i i'm no director 
I'm not going to backseat direct it. Um, no, I, I, I'm glad that you brought up, uh, the pacing and like the, 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 um, I forget the exact term you used, uh, Cody, but like the, actually I wrote it down, so I don't know that I forget it. Um, but like how well it, how beautifully it moves, how like it, it feels, I think Aaron's point about how the th- about three hours for a plot like this, for a story like this is about right. Um, you go from like the sort of naivete of man who needs a mission to obviously the changing middle act. And I'm, I'm thinking mostly in character, um, rather than in direct plot or, you know, attachments to history kind of thing. But, uh, the mid section where he starts becoming like, he starts to insist, uh, I say he, uh, Willard insists that he's like, he can sort of be a Kurtz type to toward, toward the end, realizing what that really means. Um, I found that uh, the the uh, um, uh, plantation scene specifically as something that I had never seen before, and I'm no scholar of the Vietnam War or the history to it. Um, no, or sorry, learning a little bit about the uh, insistence uh, of of the French that like there's a place for it, there's a future, there's like uh, a certain like. Um, what is the term? The South will rise again type. Like, not really. They do accept that they've like been beaten many times, but that's just a read that I had not considered prior to watching this cut of the movie. So it's a rare case for me, which there's like actual reasons to watch multiple versions of the movie. I, I will admit that I've only seen one version of Blade Runner. Don't know that I need, that I'm going to bother watching the other six versions that exist or whatever. Um, I really like that you brought up how it, it keeps moving though. Like even with that, in, even with the inclusion of, what amounts to in other movies, it would be like a whole separate act just at this plantation discussing and talking and arguing, um, ends up being just like a, a pretty clean insert of the, of that colonial take of that read. It feels more exculpatory, more like, like Harry was saying, like it sort of owns that discussion, uh, rather than like glossing over it. It starts to feel like, Oh, this is part of the reason why the movie is telling this story this way. It's what dif- differentiates it from its literature or excuse me, from its literary influences, etc. Um, I found that it still moves a lot there. I want to talk a little bit at some point about the monologuing about the, uh, because I've, I've, I've become for some reason, hyper aware of, um, narration from a main character in movies. And this one I feel like is very, very essential, not a hot take here, but for like both the internal life of the character and for the pacing and plot of the movie really really important and like essential for that read um i just wanted to respond and say like totally agree about the way that this movie moves and like not just uh, at a filmic technical level but at like a narrative level it seems like every time that there's potential dip in where the plot's going or where the story starts to like plateau you have your mission and you just have things that you know color it along the way um it has something that brings it back into like a really salient really interesting new point of view for being three hours long that's a lot to go on when you're stuck on one plastic boat in the middle of a river in Vietnam, I guess. It's it's a testament to how well I think this movie's craft and balance that it maintained a lot of interest uh, and a lot of like attention for a 9 a.m. watch on a Sunday. That's me uh, explaining that I didn't watch this movie until this morning. Thank you so much. I'll uh, pass the baton once more to my co-host, Aaron Grossman. Oh, thanks, man. I'm I'm taking your baton. I'm actually uh, uh, going to go against some of what you just said. So come on, guess what? I was so nice. Here's, here's my 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 big kind of I guess the the thing that really struck me. I think this watch is that like I, I I find this film to be like maybe like a top five like most just like pleasurable films to just watch like i think it's 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 Hmm. maybe one of the best looking films ever made like if somebody said maybe the best i I wouldn't uh have too much to to say against it right i think that like it's just an incredible looking film and i think that like i like in 
yeah. in ways that that match the theme so well. Like like I was so horrified yes, by yes. how incredible to watch the Kilgore sequences are. Like I w- I was like, how the fuck did he shoot that? And then, and then, like, all of a sudden, it's like, think about what he's shooting, though. And it's like, oh, that's the movie I'm watching. Like, that's what he's saying. It is, it, it, those sequences in particular, and pretty much like, um, so I, oh, man, there's like six different places to approach this from. So, yeah, uh, this movie is like kind of a few things like struck me. One, this movie is like, uh, at times quite horrifying, but also at times quite humorous, right? Often at the same time. Very, ironic kind of sarcastic way that it that uh kind of portrays the actions uh of the american troops uh in vietnam um i think that like one thing that really struck me is just like how unambiguously evil like pretty much all of the americans are in this film right and i think that is um you know there's criticisms of this film that that say that it is like glorifying war or like American involvement in Vietnam. And I think that like some of those arguments are, are kind of, uh, I think, uh, uh, viable just due to like the nature of, uh, uh, warfare. If you, film if you, warfare, if you like Kilgore, sure. Yeah. Visually, um, you know, but like the, the ride of the Valkyrie sequence, like there is a reason that that's known as like, Hey, that's Hitler's you know, favorite. It is kind of, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and, and you can kind of point at like, what that's doing from like a, a you know cinematic standpoint, but the, I, there's there's arguments against it. Sure, um, I think that like for me, like the big thing that I noticed with like noticing like how well this movie is shot, just like how good it looks, pretty much all of the time, is that like putting all of the uh, uh, monologues and the narration and the the conversations with Kurtz and whatnot at the end, like putting all that aside, like if you just took like the first three fourths of this movie uh, and you just played it with no sound. I think you would in each and every single scene, get the intended like message of the scene without that sound. This is a movie that works primarily and works like first visually. uh, And Mm -hmm. then everything else is kind of like adding on to that in a way that I think helps this film come off quite a bit like, less kind of bullshitty than a lot of the films that like took inspiration from this, right? Like the, the, the whole uh, tone of the uh, kind of the satire or the, the criticisms of, you know, American violence and whatnot with the scenes uh, with Duvall's character, like that has been like done in so many movies that has been done in so many video games, like the far cry games are like full of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and it sucks, I think, for the most part, um, but it doesn't suck here. And I think that's because it it, it is efficient, like smart visual storytelling um, just kind of for, you know, two and a half hours. I think like my like maybe hot take is that I think that kind of stops being the case uh, uh, at the final sequence, which I think I like the least of any Ooh. section of the film. Like, I think I like the the Kurtz stuff probably the the least uh, of of anything in this film. Uh, I still like it a lot because this film's great. Um, but like, yeah, that 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 method of visual storytelling kind of falls apart at the end, or that's not how it operates anymore uh, in a way that I don't think I prefer. I guess. Yeah, I think we might disagree about that. Uh, I agree with you for the record um, fully. Just that 
on on its level like i think that the first two acts of this movie are better than the last act i also just think that like that's kind of part of the point like i i think that uh with the with the mythology of marlon brando i think you sort of like a lot of people sort of miss that like kurtz is a pathetic figure right and like that's kind of part of the idea oh visually yeah. that's not super well communicated but it is well communicated in terms of who he is and how he talks and what he says i mean like well, yeah. there's that there's a really great um scene where like dennis hopper's character who basically functions to like drive that home he like he talks about how he was so moved by the speech kurtz gave him and he's like did you know that if is the middle word of life and it's like bro like that's like fucking hallmark <laughs> card but that's like the point right is that like kurtz is not a like not some sort of like incredible like he's a pathetic loser in a lot of ways that yeah. we'll talk about later. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that I really like what you're saying about the visual communication of this movie, because I think that like, I think that that is really fundamentally what Coppola is doing. Right. I think that like, Way back in the day, we used to talk about how like Kurosawa's Shakespeare movies are like Kurosawa trying to do visually what uh, Shakespeare was doing with language, right? He was sort of trying to be like, hey, like, how do I do with a movie what Shakespeare is doing with language? Like, how do I make this art form equal to that? That's kind of how I feel about what Coppola is doing with Heart of Darkness here. Um, just that like, I think like Aaron said, like, I think the visuals are at a like, are paramount here, right? The the visuals, and I think that the narration is almost like, it's helpful. It's like helping you get there. But like, I agree that like, as a silent movie, I think it still totally works. And I just like, I think that like, there's a specificity of visual communication here that works so well that elevates it beyond what um, a lot of the, the pretenders would do, right? Like it, it occurred to me watching like the Kilgore sequences, uh, all of this like specific critique that I feel like is communicated visually. And I can't even necessarily put my finger on how, except just to say that like, you look at how much fun the soldiers are having, how dissociated they are, how incredibly overwhelming their air superiority is and their fire superiority. And it like, it occurred to me that like, Oh, like, these guys are exactly where they want to be. And also like as an extension, America is exactly where it wants to be. Like I think Kilgore is living like the candide version of his life. Like this is the best possible world for him. It's like, like being able to do what he's doing right now, playing flight of the Valkyries and finding places to surf and going out like that. Like if, if he could choose any world to live in, it would be this one. And it occurred to me that like, that is such a great critique of American imperialism because it occurs to me that like, there is this idea, right, that that war is is imperfect and that it's something to it's a, it's a conflict that's going to lead to a better state. And I think one of the big arguments of this movie is that um, America has achieved in its 20th century imperialism the final version of what it wants the world to look like. I think it, it wants to be in conflict in perpetuity. It wants the Vietnamese to be the people that they're fighting against. It wants the third world, quote unquote, the developing world, the global south, whatever you want to call it, to be something that is an enemy for all time so that they can continue to produce the adventure narrative that they are producing. They're producing all of this this warfare capital, their economy churns that way, but they're also more importantly producing people like Kilgore and producing people like the soldiers that we see in this movie. 
and giving them an, a narrative to follow, uh, a way to grow up, right? Like, I think even Willard is subject to this because he has that fantastic line where he's like, somebody asks him, like, you like it when it's hot, don't you, Willard? And, and he says, fuck, man, like, you don't get to know who the fuck you are in a factory in Ohio, right? Like, I think that that's such a key moment to this movie is understanding that, like, until the turn, which is basically, I think, the first act to the second act, everybody's right where they want to be. Like, Willard wants to be back out in the jungle. America wants to be in Vietnam. Like, these soldiers want to be doing what they're doing. Kurtz wants to be doing what he's doing, right? Is And, like, that is the, the mythologization that is set up, is that, like, how did this guy who became, who was the epitome of the American imperial system, how did he get here, right? Like, that's the mystery at the heart of it. And then the mystery is, of course, revealed not to be a mystery at all, because... Kurtz never abandoned American imperialism as an ideology. He just basically had a process critique of of American imperialism, which I think is so funny and so appropriate for this movie. It's not efficient enough. Yeah, no, he's just like I could I could do this shit so much better. And he's like, why? Like, so he he gets fed up with what he calls the lie, right? Which is this lie that like, oh, like America is and. To be fair, like that process critique is correct. Like America doesn't want to win wars; it wants wars. It it wants things to go on the way that they're going on, so that the people who are making money and gaining prestige continue to do so. And he's like, "Well, wait a minute! Like, I've been given this mission. The best way for me to do this mission is to kill every motherfucker on the planet. Like, that's how I get to be the best at what I'm doing. So, like, I'm going to do that." And then there's the sort of like tension between him and America, but I, I really love, and we can talk about Kurtz more later. Um, but, um, I just think that like, this is so well communicated, right? Like visually and in terms of the, the narrative, like it's not just a sort of like, isn't Vietnam bad, isn't sort of imperialism bad. It's like very specific in its critiques in the way that it's saying like, Hey, like this is, this was a war that was fundamentally about a sort of like protection of an economy and a culture and a like society that is increasingly uh, indebted to and incumbent upon perpetual imperialism. And this is what it's doing to the people who are fighting the wars. And this is what it's doing to the rest of the world. And the reason why that's happening is because it's exactly what these people want to happen. Uh, and so like you get you get this great juxtaposition, right, where it's like Vietnam is supposed to be this terrible thing, but everybody there loves it. Everybody there is having the time of their lives, it looks like. Right. And it's like, how did that happen? And I, I really love discussing the fundamental contradictions therein in terms of a critique of like what it is to fight an imperialist war in the first place. I think it does a really good job of communicating that. I agree. And sticking with how it does that visually for just a little bit longer, um, and I'm going to go back to the the start of the movie. Not to say that it is like the foundational, like best stretch of the movie or anything like that, but I do think it works as like an operative sort of like rubric for how a lot of these sequences. Um, I train the viewer. I'm hesitant to throw that out there because early on in this podcast, I feel like we dropped those a lot, but that's genuinely how I, I, I don't know how, what a great filmmaker, uh, like, uh, like Mr. Francis also, Coppola. it must be said not to, but to defend that idea, like with the narration and the visual communication, yeah. this movie does more training than most any movie, right? Especially in yes. regards to like how we're supposed to be thinking about Kurtz, which is exactly what heart of darkness did. Right. But like the whole movie is about getting you to feel a certain way about Kurtz and about Vietnam. Yeah. 
and I feel pretty freaked out, but not necessarily at the start of the movie yet. But like we we, we get that feeling pretty um like pretty well right away with the the montage of um just like the tree bombs um just like shits getting mowed down and, and somewhat. I think I think slow down footage. I just saw this movie last night, but already it's uh, a little fuzzy for whatever reason, but it's very striking imagery. We get um, Willard's face uh, kind of fades in and the shots are, you know, there's overlay. Um, you're uh, seeing both together. The music isn't interrupted by the explosion. I fucking loved that right. part. Really good. Yeah. The explosion happens on cue with the song. It's, I mean, it, like again, war looks pretty sexy when you, when you edit it together like that. Um, but, but all that is to say it, outside the outside world, it's, it's a, it's a war zone. It's hellish. It's scary. Don't want to be out there. Willard is in his room, uh, in the like room. He's the narration obviously feeds into all this as well, but he's holed up in his room. He's restless waiting for a mission. But for, before we get into all that, you know, we get, the interior he's in his room there is something like it, it, it nothing really special about it. it it is just like a um kind of a shitty looking hotel room but it's it's dark it's um you can tell it's light outside because the shutters are they're drawn but you get like the little um you know uh, streaks of light coming through the room but there is there is safety there because he is inside and the war is outside and you go up to the window and it's almost like a, a fight or flight thing but the war zone is not outside he's posted up in a, a town or a village i forget where he's at um but then the he's narration starts to kick in uh oh yeah i should have yeah he is inside um uh, if only he said something in his narration like maybe the first two lines of the the word two first two hmm. syllables of the movie to, yeah, to a little scripting note uh, francis yeah um wait whatever. oh i'm getting news on my desk uh those are the first two words of the movie all right do <laughs> um but then yeah so he looks outside and is it, it's saigon not an active war zone um so crisis averted until we start to hear his thoughts and we the first thing we learn about him is that he is he is wired so poorly uh the war has absolutely um destroyed this guy he's totally fucked up um punches the mirror cuts his hand he drinks uh vodka like it's um water or or fireball or something else that's really delicious um and and all of a sudden him being alone in a hotel room with liquor broken glass in his feelings is like the absolute last place that he should be and that we as viewers want to be and so it's like well okay this is this was a safe space. There was something appealing about it. Now we need to look for another environment to go in and it just on a loop. Um, we go to, you know, new spaces. We, we go to Kilgore's unit and just like, Oh, Hey, Kilgore, cool guy. Um, he seems pretty cool. You know, his, his, uh, uh the people under his command really seem to like him. He's not going to get a scratch on him this whole time. Uh, really, really good line drop. And oh then, man, that's you know, such a, a fucking fantastic line. Like that tells you so much about who that character is and like his role in the movie in that one moment. Oh, really mm-hmm. good. Yeah, um, but then you, ju- you get uh, surfing juxtaposed with um, with townspeople like dropping grenades uh, in helicopters, and then just uh, continuously you know, for for three hours, we find spaces that um, we find ourselves maybe wanting to to linger in for, uh, a little bit, and then all of a sudden they're the last place we want to be, and that is. I, I, I trained almost to fear like any place we go to regardless of how it looks because there is something always sort of lurking in this uh in this place that is hellish by largely our our own sort of creation um so that's 
uh, and I do think the like the narration um to your point uh I, I think jason it was you who was, you found yourself reading a lot into like the the yeah the voiceovers uh in in films and you know with that being such an early thing dropped uh in this movie but i do think you know that's part of what makes those initial sort of skepticisms about environment sing i think super well with, with us you know living with uh willard for a stretch before we get um you know before we get to see Han Solo on screen or anything like that. But I, I do think the narration is um, uh, deployed uh, pretty you know, favorably as far as us getting a sense of kind of the, the lay of the land, but um, not sure if you feel differently about that. I don't, uh, as previously stated, I think it's pretty essential. Um, I, I, I like a couple of thoughts, side note about, um, uh, Harry, you mentioned, and maybe it was, uh, less like point and more flavor, but <clears throat> I feel like, uh, Kurtz is like, pitifulness i guess as uh like you described him as a pitiable character maybe the movie isn't very great about like visually communicating that i think i think it takes the whole movie but i think it is i think it is quite very like obviously it, it climaxes with literally his death is paralleled with that of a sacrificial cow or water buffalo or whatever that is toward the end side note side note to the side note I think maybe the first time I watched the movie where there was real animal death and that's kind of, that was kind of fucked up. I still remember that was one of the few pretty things that up. like stuck in my mind. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty visceral, pretty, uh, uh, raw. Um, but I think I don't want to say that you're wrong because I think that there's like a point behind both of our, uh, opinions here, but I think that, um, like over the course of the movie, we have, uh, 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 Willard sort of like building up Kurtz and having like been set off on this, you know, the uh, military, whoever his commanding officers are sort of lights the fuse of this guy's dangerous. He's gone off the radar. He's uh, he's completely insane. Uh, Willard sort of like does not take that critically at all. He simply reviews the logs and like insists on this picture of Kurtz as a madman, as once like somehow corrupted by rather than perfectly leveraged by, uh, the, by, you know, his, his environment and his, uh, his mission sort of thing. Um, like it, b- by the end he had like, he, of course his, his death is like I said, paralleled with, uh, with the sacrifice of a cow. I, I think that in, in itself, like in isolation is a great encapsulation of his, of like how not just like, not necessarily how great he was like, because, Oh, this person is somebody who must've been sacrificed for something good to happen or for something bad to happen. Uh, more that he was, you know, a tool that he was, it's pitiable that he like felt that uh, over the course of the movie, we have built him to be some great and mythic figure. He's been mythologized consistently by the narration. Again, I think a lot of my points are going to tie back to the narration because it's mostly how we learn the story here and like how, how our lens is sort of constructed. Um, but like, it's more about how his quote unquote, like perceived greatness uh, was leveraged by the American government, by, by the military, by imperial interest uh, to like advance those interests. Uh, and even though he felt like, even though Kurtz himself in his own, you know, twisted sort of n- no method type war philosophy, um, e- even though he felt like he was going against it or like he was subverting it in some way, it like, it's the moment that it makes it obvious. He was always mistaken about his own mission uh, that like, even in his, uh, way out of line thinking, he was still operating under sort of like the house always wins type of thing that, um, great like, phrase for fla- that. Yeah, for sure. We deploy that a lot. And I, I find myself watching movies with, with that framing a lot, but like, again, this one I think is a very much the house always wins type ending. Um, and the other thing that it does in that moment, and this is one of the other points that I found as a consistent thread is like it flattens in that moment alone. Like obviously Kurtz 
imprisoning uh, Willard and calling and like implicating that he's maybe going to be a successor of some kind or at least like a bugle uh, blower to like to spread my message kind of thing. Like other people need to tell uh, Dennis Hopper as well does the same thing. Like they're not going to believe me. They're going to believe you. You're going to be the one to tell the story kind of thing. Like it's intimated though, not specifically that he's going to be like the next or one to at least tell the mission back. And you like by this point in the movie, it's been built up so much that there's just a dramatic irony, I think. And maybe it's only on second watch that I, that I get this, but a dramatic irony to the person we've built Kurtz up to be versus the person that he actually ends up being, which is just a sad human hold up in a temple, a queer temple, uh, being hacked to bits by somebody lower in rank than him. And it, that to me is like that moment that the hierarchies of, uh, specifically American military, but largely, you know, at writ large, uh, the entire complex are just flattened and realized as like, you know, fantastical as meaningless, uh, proving again, like Kurtz's point that it, like he, man, there's so, so much to, to talk about here, but that he like operated outside of his role that he specifically after his peak age went back into a role that would limit him in seniority specifically because of the opportunities that afforded him to affect a certain type of change that he wanted. That same way that he leveraged hierarchy is the same way that, uh, like, uh, Willard is attempting to do at the end by killing him, not necessarily for personal gain, not necessarily to like supplant him or whatever but to like flat like the the real ideology of uh, that we're that we're sort of playing to that we're advancing here is above us all and it treats us all this the same that it's all completely that it's all pointless except for you know uh, imperial gain i'm sort of i don't feel like i'm losing my point but i feel like i'm just babbling at it is that like it is no longer at that point I, i feel like they're in that moment is the, okay, we're looping the audience into how pointless Kurtz's whole thing was not necessarily pointless in like a nihilistic way, but pointless because it did serve a purpose, just not one that he could see or that Willard could see. I don't think Willard does see. I think he's going to end up becoming the next Colonel Kurtz along with Lance side note. Um, I just feel like there is, it takes the whole movie, but there is that visual cue uh, of Kurtz being a, a pitiable creature rather than like this monolithic mythologized figure. Right. I, I don't know if they're like, what, what, sorry, what kind of, um, uh, you know, like, does that read at all? Does that line up at all? Or is that just like total chaff to you? No, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I mean, like the, the ways in which I think that the movie doesn't super effectively visually communicate his patheticness is just the way that, um, he is portrayed as so godlike, especially when we first meet him. Like he's constantly mm-hmm. shrouded in shadows. He he speaks like, like in a disembodied way. He is so intimidating looking. You're right. I mean, I think that that gives way. I really love in particular when he uh, applies the face paint um, of the the military yes. on his face, yeah. and it looks sort of like almost like clownish. Uh, in, he in almost it, looks in like way. one of the one of the stone statues that they keep overlaying yeah, and translucent right, exactly. screen. It's, it's yeah. a really perfect sort of um, Marlon Brando role, late Marlon Brando role, right? In that it's like such a fallen figure. Um, I, I really like the way that you talked about his fall as sort of fatalistic and Willard's killing of him as fatalistic. There is something very um, very fatalistic about the entire thing, right? Like we get this impression that it could only ever have ended this way, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the way that they set up Kurt so effectively is they make him seem like the exception to all rules, right? Like, yeah, here was like exactly. this ubermanked, like he was the, the greatest soldier that the military, U.S. military ever produced. And then he somehow transcended it, right? He became somehow more or less, or like he 
successfully broke the system. It's basically like Hideo Kojima saw this movie and, and was like, hey, what if Kurtz was successful, though? And it was like, oh, he'd be big boss. <laughs> Um, what if what if Kurtz didn't die of malaria, but was actually super cool forever uh, <laughs> and and achieved what he set out to achieve? Uh, sorry, Cody. Um, but uh, and then and then we finally get there and we learn that um, Kurtz never transcended the ideology of imperialism. In fact, he reached its logical endpoint. Right. Like, I think that Kurtz at the end of this movie is living out the finality of the sort of death dream of American empire. Right. This idea that like he even in in his great monologue about the, the people who cut off the arms of the inoculated, he misunderstands the nature of that conflict. Right. He says that like, oh, or he doesn't come to the right conclusions. Right. Because he says like these people who are fighting, who, who are freedom fighters, who actually believe in something, who are defending their homes. Uh, Willard has a great line about how it's like the only way for them to get back home is victory or death. That's never been the case for America. He's like, mm-hmm. what I They're need stronger than me. are people that believe as hard as these people believe, but in what I believe. Which is this idea, and and again, it's it's the idea we've been seeing visually communicated throughout the entire movie that the way empire works is the way things should be. That people like Kurtz, through the force of their will, through the force of their violence, they have the right to remake the world in their image and to de- destroy anyone else who, or to destroy really any other wills that exist, right? Like, I think Kurtz becomes the judge by the end of this movie and like fucking Blood Meridian, where he's like, anything that exists without my knowledge exists without my consent. And war is like the, is the highest calling of all beings, right? He's like, I, w- I need to kill everything else. I need to bring about apocalypse now because that is what my purpose is. That is how I self-actualize. And I think when he, when he's finally dying of malaria, he thought that that his that that self-actualization was somehow he was somehow transcending the exploitations of the system that he was in. Only too late, he realizes that he was just a tool, right? He was made to be exactly what America wanted for him. And now he's being discarded because he's outlived his usefulness. Because creating people like that, creating people who exist to want to kill everything that's not them in order to prove that they exist the way Kurtz wanted to is how you create a perpetual conflict, which is in turn how you create a system that self-perpetuates by. Mm -hmm. And so he realizes in the end that he and all of the people he created were instruments for the uh, perpetuation of this system of economy and culture. Right. And um, I, I think that that's, it's really important that like, I, and I think the movie skirts this line really well at like Kurtz is, is a monster, right? Like in, in many ways, the ultimate monster of American empire, except that he's not right because he's a victim because he's a soldier and all of the soldiers in this movie, the movie walks this line very well are themselves victims, right? Because they are being created to, for the slaughter. They are the, the water buffaloes of American empire. Like they are supposed to believe in the story that they are being sold they are supposed to go out into the jungle. They are supposed to become Colonel Kurtz and then they are supposed to die and their dying is supposed to inspire the next generation of men to go and to do the same thing. Kurtz realizes mm-hmm. in the end that all of despite all of his rage, he's still a rat in a cage, right? Oh, and like exactly 
he has achieved exactly what he was always meant to achieve uh, here. Whether or not anybody knows it, the system perpetuates and it, it goes on and on. And, and even Willard in killing him knows that he's doing that on behalf of a system that's going to continue to perpetuate. Um, and, and I think that fatalistic is a, is a really good way to put it, right? Because it's like when you enter into a system like that, this is why you exist this is who you are. This is what you're for. And there is no sort of escaping from it. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's a really good way to think about it. I, I think there's maybe something else also happening that I don't know if this contradicts what you're saying or not, but I, I think there is a, a kind of, I think Kurtz kind of represents a, um, I, th I think thinking about this film, like along with something like the mosquito coast is kind of interesting. Right. And then I think Kurtz represents a, kind of a dissatisfaction um, and a dislike of uh, uh, warfare channeled through like big government bureaucracy. Right. And like the, the kind of illogical, uh, like inefficient nature of it. Right. Like when he, when that's he's talking the lie about, that like, he the, hates so much, right. Is this idea that like, well, if you actually wanted to do what I've been told to do, you'd be doing it way better. <laughs> yes. Like, like he, he sees the story of like the, the amputated like limbs and whatnot. Um, and he sees like a kind of simple, like more, I guess, honest kind of efficiency, uh, in that manner. And I think that is supposed to, um, kind of stand out in comparison to pretty much every single other portrayal uh, of, you know, kind of imperial power in the film. Uh, I mean, certainly, um, you know, Duvall's character is kind of like the the main uh, argument, right? Where like nothing Duvall is doing is efficient or actually achieving its goal in any way. Like what Duvall fucking wants to go surfing and then he, he like dumps so much napalm that like the napalm like changes the tides and then he, he ends up not being able to go surfing, right? Um, I think that like, you know, uh, the reason that like the U.S. like powers want to kill Kurtz is because they, they do not actually need someone to be efficient in that manner. They they want someone that they can right. control uh, and can kind of direct um, hmm. and that the the kind of uh, perpetuating nature of, uh, you know, American like military conflict and colonialism um, is not to like win. It's never to win. Se, no, they the don't that, want like, to win. French, that's that's yes. a really good point. They that's exactly. Keep, they want to keep rocking. Yeah, with it, that's right? what Kurtz's problem is, right? He's like, oh, I'm trying to win. And then he realizes like, oh, nobody wants me to win. Yeah, the, the, they're going to come kill me because I'm I'm we're we're winning too hard, folks, you know. Um, and so I think there is like a a a dissatisfaction with 20th century warfare that like ties into, uh, you know, kind of the more, I think, pretentious parts of his character. Right. He, he goes around like quoting like T.S. Eliot. Right. Um, uh, the the horror, the horror is uh, uh, from a. I believe like an epitaph uh, or like an epilogue to the wasteland that was originally in there. Uh, I don't think it's actually at the end. No, it, uh, it's, the wasteland. it's Kurtz's last words in Heart of Darkness. He dies and says the yes, same but thing. I think, so he says it in Heart of Darkness. And then I think Elliot took that from Heart of Darkness and then put it in in the wasteland. Really? Oh, I don't remember after that. Heart of, I thought Shanti, Shanti, so Shanti originally. Was. And then he had removed it. Uh, it was, oh. So it was uh, it's in also the wasteland and then removed. Super funny yes. that he also quotes from The Hollow Men, which is a poem that starts yes. with the, the term are the words, Mr. Kurtz, he's dead <laughs> from the heart of darkness. Yes. So it's like, hey, why didn't Kurtz, why didn't you, uh, you why didn't, didn't you say that? that? You didn't think about that one? <laughs> um, 
but like all all of you know the 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 other books that he's reading and like uh uh you know T.S. Eliot as like a poet in general like these were the, they were works like trying to grapple with like the turn of the century and specifically like uh, a warfare changing and kind of life you know back home uh so to quote uh kind of changing as well right and like struggling to comprehend what life looks like in like a new century that is like defined by like extra brutal like violent conflict right and i think that like you know kurtz in this film uh as a character he kind of he kind of acts as like just that general sentiment like kind of drawn out over 60 straight years right and just kind of decayed to nothing um and i think it's like kind of interesting it is kind of pretentious uh, a little bit and but i think that's also the point right like we're supposed to we're supposed to understand he's kind of up his own ass right? oh yeah he, he's super he's so self-important he wants to be god right yeah. the the cult of personality you know um i i like i i find it interesting um i again it's not like my favorite part of the film but i think that like that is like what it's about. Um, but also maybe that's like too. No, no, I, that's great. I mean, Jason, you can, you can go next if you. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, well, I mean, I was just going to discuss uh, again, the like maybe tying into your discussion of Kurtz as like, he's sort of mythologized. He's I, I've used the term mythologizing a bunch, but um, like he always sees himself as a God and yet like wild as an animal type of thing, like more in tune, more instinctive than uh, the military industrial complex could ever be. I wanted to tie that back to the like journey we follow uh, Willard on through his monologue specifically. I like a, a number of things I didn't notice the first time that I was watching this. Um, the, and maybe this is just a standalone point that we don't need to blow up anything, anything else as we're already over an hour in, but, um, like his, uh, he starts getting the objective information. Uh, Willard learns about his, about, you know, sort of his quarry. He learns what Kurtz is. Um, he accepts at face value that Kurtz is somebody who, uh, you know, is basically a misalignment of the ideal soldier. He is like, sort of like he's taken his own, uh, ideals and, and push them beyond reason, beyond legality, beyond whatever the, the, the lines of war, the hazy, uh, you know, what's right and what's wrong. Um, there is still an idea at its core there that, uh, you know, there's a right and wrong. And um, for Willard, he feels like there's a, a, a right to be aligned with. And Kurtz is simply out of line. He is, he's lost control, so to speak. When over the course of the movie, we learn that he is totally in control. He's just uh, entirely like, uh, he, he misunderstands what his place is in like achieving that same, like, you know, house always wins goal. Um, the, the middle act, I think rather than just being limited to a, uh, you know, internal monologue that is communicated mostly through like close-ups and shots of the, um, dossiers that he's reviewing and stuff. Uh, I think it's like a really like Cody called it a beautifully composed. I think there's, there's like this journey that we have, that we follow Willard on uh, as like each time that he learns a little bit more about Kurtz. I don't know why he didn't just review this whole thing, but over the course of the movie, we're, we're pacing it out so that he's learning a little bit more about Kurtz after each vignette, uh, after each stop on their trip. And uh, we see like that directly impacting his vision of himself. Willard, like how he defines himself. He sees 
how Kurtz has uh, like without many of his own words, he's like made himself into this self-made God. And instead of like recognizing that and better defining the quote unquote threat, he starts to take it upon himself. And, and like, obviously the, the, one of the biggest, uh, again, way above just subtext, very much text of the movie is he starts to pattern himself after Kurtz and recognize more of like, start to force sort of these similarities to Kurtz. I just love that there's such obvious and like, uh, heavy hit moments like the, uh, he arrives at, I forget exactly what the guy, but he's like, he's a shop owner. Essentially. He's got the requisitions for fuel. And one of his men, one of Willard's men wants fuel and the shop owner is like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he, uh, in a moment where he wants to like sort of pattern himself after Kurtz, somebody who will step out of line to do what he feels is like the, the correct at line of action. He grabs the guy, throws him against the wall and says like, just give him the fucking fuel, whatever. And that's, in any other movie, that'd be like, oh, that's him getting a little close to the close to the heart of darkness. He's he's indulging like this darker side of himself. Uh, but then the shop over comes over and gives him like a bottle of booze. And he's like, hey, man, no hard feelings. And you can just see in Martin Sheen's face and Willard's face like that. He fucking hates that because it means that he's still very much like seen as like in the lines. Somebody recognizes the the hierarchy there that intentionally Kurtz has like sort of like done away with. Um, it, it's like just this moment where he has, uh, this self-awareness that like, oh, somebody could tell that that's not really me, that I'm somebody who can be reasoned with, that I'm somebody who is generally within the lines. I'm kind of a straight shooter. I'm kind of a, a goody two shoes at, at heart. I'm a man who wants a mission rather than somebody who like takes things in his own hands. I just like, I didn't notice that the first time I watched it, of course, because I like, wasn't really aware of the whole journey that he goes through. Just like moments like that, I think punctuate both Willard's journey from goody two shoes guy to I'm going to kill the bad guy, uh, you know, with all the, you know, all the support of the U S army for, you know, their own ends, uh, and Kurtz's, uh, you know, journey, which we follow totally third hand from, uh, you know, this mythologized God beast to just somebody who gets chopped down in a temple. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's just like these fun punctuative points in the actual text of the movie that I, I found really easy to cling to and, uh, and, and like very much, I guess in line with, uh, like Cody was saying, just like a, a very, like there's something that happens. There is a, uh, a punctuated point in each broad scene in each act that sort of like carries both the story and gives us a little bit better picture of Willard from like a guy drunk, going crazy in his hotel room to bathed in the blood of one of his former compatriots. Uh, and you know, uh, leading more men to continue the mission sort of thing. Anyway, yeah, I'm no, babbling at this point. I really like that because I, I think that you've drawn a really good line about fatalism and what this movie is, right? And it's interesting because because fatalism often, it sounds unpointed, right? Because it, it talks about like capital F fate in terms of like how God has written it. But like what this movie is actually talking about is fate as it is written by systems of empire that perpetuate themselves and and mm. i think that it, it picks up this critique that i like i think t.s Eliot is sort of a perfect uh like through line for this right because um so much of t.s Eliot and heart of darkness and i think aaron you and i maybe talked about this on mosquito coast or it was something else but like there maybe even in Yi Yi, where it's like so much of the um the the fear of interesting Kurtz is that like there was a time when within a single person's life you could sort of self determine existentially you could create a version of yourself that was quote unquote free that it's sort of like Nietzschean right like sure. like there's yeah. this idea that Kurtz wants to be a Nietzschean Ubermensch who can self define. 
I think that honestly, the horror that he realizes and the horror that he re- that Kurtz realized in Heart of Darkness is that that is no longer possible in a globalized world like this because the systems that perpetuate a conflict on a global scale and that perpetuate the machinery of empire are so infallible in terms of that not a single person can ever be outside of them so that no matter what Kurtz does, he is still on the treadmill. He is still perpetuating the system as it is. I think that like what he wants to do with all of what he's been doing is he's like, okay, like what I've been taught is that in order to be real, in order to prove that I exist and that I am who I think I am, I have to like carve this path of destruction. I have to impose my will upon everybody else. Then he doesn't realize that that is itself the imposition of will upon him, right? He, mm-hmm, he was mm-hmm. created to be that. And I think that exactly. like the horror and, and I think that what you're saying, uh, Jason, is is so astute because like Willard goes undergoes the same character arc, right? Where like like Willard wants to get back out into the jungle so he can prove he really exists, so he can really be somebody. Um and all of these American soldiers are going out for similar reasons, right? On some level or another. Like Willard is disgusted by them, but he recognizes himself, right? Like all of this adventure is about becoming a man. It's be, it's about becoming someone real, like proving to yourself that you're alive and that you're really doing this. When it, in reality, like even the the fact that you feel that way is a um it's something that that only like you have been manipulated into feeling that way it's by design so exactly. you will do the bidding of a, a larger empire right i and i i love that uh t.s Eliot is their go-to because not to be too nerdy about it but like t.s Eliot with like all of his poems and stuff like created some of the most like robust and insightful critiques of 20th century like modernism ever and his answer to it was like well that's why we need the monarchy you guys <laughs> like he was a royalist he was literally like that's why we have to go back to uh like more conservative like traditional political systems and that's kind of what kurtz is doing right kurtz is like hey like like i need to go back to being genghis khan because i need to believe that there are people who can become warlords whose uh will can actually whose singular will can actually define history and it's like nah sorry kurtz like that's not how history works anymore like the the ghost in the machine is so much bigger than you that you're always going to be a part of it why why is Dennis Hopper quoting proof rock though? You know what I mean? What does not being able to get laid have anything to do with this film? <laughs> we oh, just thrown in there for fun. Oh, proof rock is you know? the, that's the best poem ever, dude. It I is, love it so no, much. It's, it's the greatest, yeah. but it's you know, I know it's, what about, you mean. It's, about, it's about going <laughs> when you need to talk to a girl. It's not about fucking it's yeah, silly. The women you know? in the parlors, what is it? Discussing Michelangelo. He rhymes with Michelangelo. That's right. But I can't remember what he right. rhymes with. Just um, the life like the coffee spoons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all that. Um not not me though. No, I'm different. Uh, Couldn't and, be me. And different. not to get not to get too real before we go into the junk drawer. But uh, man, tough to, to tough to watch this movie with um with everything that's happening uh, in Gaza, right? And like thinking about how like oh like my whole life and all of the bullshit that I do, the little podcasts I do, the little work that I do, the places I donate to. That's all a manipulation to get me to keep paying taxes so I can keep financing American adventurism and the turn of the economy uh, in the Middle East. Um, and that's a that's a sobering thing. That's a horrific thing to think about. So what I'm saying is unfortunately still a relevant film. Yeah. Kurtz was right. Uh, uh, and he did nothing wrong. <laughs> well, well, 
he he cut somebody's uh, head he, he off. He cut off a lot of heads. Yeah, he uh, cut off a lot of heads. The guy was gonna the guy was gonna airstrike his entire village full of people. That's oh, not... I was talking about the women and children whose heads he cut off at the base of his temple. Oh, yeah. But he yeah, didn't. I mean, Look, also maybe they were also the, also Look, the man, Cajun he was, guy deserves to death. admit when he goes too far. <laughs> I love that fucking Dennis Hopper line where he's like, no, nah, man, I mean, he goes too far sometimes, but he's the first to admit I, it. I wish we had a little more time to discuss Dennis Hopper's character because I don't – this is giving me a lot of context for, like, where he fits in the story. But really, he is just, like – what is that fucking character's name from uh, Ron, the the sort of, like, impish – uh, character just bounces around commenting on everything. Oh, the, it's kind of kind of like that. Yeah, the, the, yeah kind of like that, but just much more like concentrated at like oh one person and and like an inconsistency of philosophy consistently uh, being like interpreted as God speak. I I just love that character. He's so f- fun and fucked up. Yeah, uh, I had one more thing before we get to the junk drawer because I don't want to consign this to the junk drawer, and I, I want to hear Cody's thoughts about the asshole of the world, but like I wanted to talk about how so much of the humanity and the actual non-ironic, non-satirical um, moments of this movie, the non-satirically tragic moments of the movie for Americans involve uh, blackness. Like all of the quote-unquote serious characters in this movie are black men. Um, I think that, like, especially in the context of Vietnam, that's super important, right? But, like, you notice that in the asshole of the world, which is where the soldiers realize that, like, they're literally there to die, right? Like, they're they're defending a bridge that gets blown up every night because the generals in their reports to Washington need to say that that bridge is open so that the, like, the country is still functional. And so they rebuild the bridge every day. They spend all night shooting at phantoms. All of the characters there are black. Like, all of the soldiers up there are black in that scene. Um, the saddest or one of the most, like, genuinely affecting moments of the movie is, is obviously when clean Larry Fishburne dies. And uh, we hear his mom on a recording talking about what's going to happen when he gets to come back home. Uh, I think that like just I think it's, it's really fascinating that in this movie about American imperialism, it, it has the nuance and it, it contains the space to talk about like, hey, like who is most punished? And it turns out it's the people who are marginalized by that same American imperialism, right? Who often have the fewest choices. Like I think Chief is another great character, right? He gets killed by the spear. But before that, he's like the guy who's trying to do his job properly because he's like kind of the only guy who doesn't get that this is all a farce or he does understand that it's a farce, but he has no choice but to treat it as serious because he doesn't have any other like resources. I think it's it's like a really fascinating commentary on the ways in which America has always exploited blackness for the military and the ways that, in fact, one may argue that uh, like racism is actually a tool to perpetuate uh, the use of blackness in this way. What? Like it turns Record out that, scratch. yeah, actually like like creating economic inequality among marginalized populations might actually function to get those people to do the bidding of American empire in perpetuity. Who would have thunk? Uh, I think that the movie, it's amazing that the movie can, can get there with that. I think I, I was really moved by that as well. Yeah. Um, same here. I can't really characterize that point better than how you did, but I do th- that thinking about the ways in which this uh, film, as we've gone on and on, uh, on about the way that it communicates uh, specifically 
visually and like compounding everything that you just laid out as far as the asshole of the world sequence. Um, I believe Lance mentions like just before then that he dropped acid that he was saving. Uh, and that just like it, it colors that were, I mean, it's, it, I don't know, like you can kind of interpret it however you want, but that is sort of like an additional lens that you can kind of choose to view it through. Yeah. Like it is, isn't, it is plainly, isn't that yeah, a Jimi Hendrix song that's playing throughout like that entire sequence too? Is like it, or maybe it's not genuinely Jimi Hendrix, but it's like a big electrical guitar. It's like Woodstock, right? Like in the asshole of the world. There's a lot of like prog rock right. shit going on in this movie that I really dig. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it definitely. I mean, it fits the vibe, whatever whatever song it was. But it, it thinking, you know, like <laughs> there is something. So th- there is something s- s- kind of inviting. Just like big, big scare quotes, uh, italics, whatever. Just like oh, on top of you know this new place we're going to, like Lance is on acid, and like at the outset, it see it the one sort of point in its favor for the like couple seconds before shit like devolves very rapidly is that it does seem like very like it seems non-military like it's less put together than the other places that we've gone to and there is like some weird like we're starting to feel some kind of comfort in that like our, our reactions are getting conditioned to the point oh this is kind of unlike thing places the monstrous places we've been previously um like it it does seem like it's kind of you know it, it's unkempt it's it seems a little manic but like whatever there's some there's some lights soaring all over the place uh lance and you know lance and, and me the viewer are kind of on acid right now it's just like how bad could it be and then you see people waiting in the water trying to actively get out of um the world's finest asshole uh and that is kind of like a shorter leash like we don't really get to bask in that space uh too long before it's like nope this place sucks too uh sorry i know we're on acid we're 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 trying to have a good time here but we got to get out of here get out of here as uh as quickly as possible um so yeah i don't know like even sequences like that um have like a have a a very uh important role to play throughout um willard's journey and, and our journey through apocalypse now here's a now uh Sorry, sorry if Harry was going to add to that because I'm I'm branching off here. Uh, how much better would this movie be if uh, the Doors songs were taken out? <laughs> we don't fucking that shit. Even the CCI, I don't. I do not need fucking. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't need sympathy for the devil. Like I don't need that fucking classic rock shit. Oh my I god, don't... I don't like it in this film. Every single scene with like the cool ass music where it's just like synth vibes. You know some. Fucking is, jazz I think Aussie. I think that it's important rocks. for the commercialism of the whole thing, right? It's like the start of the movie have it, but the fact that there's they fucking descend into fucking Kurt's territory, and then there's a Doors song playing as he's like creeping up. Oh man, I to love the fucking that. temple. No, have it is, in the beginning. Because that I, the love it, dude, I love it because GIs it sucks. Surfing around, and shit. I love it because it undercuts itself. <sighs> you know what I mean? It, it's like. I don't know. I, I think it's get the sim- doors out of here. I get I, them out of I, here. I don't like the doors. Like I I agree with, but like I do really love that. Like it's like you you set the like worst like most obnoxious sort of like we got them boys. I don't think like, that was the intent. I don't know. I th- I, I think it, I think it, maybe that's how it plays. I think it, it's I don't know, so man. absurd. Yeah. I mean, uh, that is just to say. Yeah. Also, like uh, just real quick about the the point about. Um, blackness is that um it's it's also super important to note who gets to survive right who gets to drop acid uh later on um the surfer basically gets clean killed because he's like fooling around probably still high and like 
like setting off smoke grenades on their boat talking about purple haze, which is what draws the enemy fire. He doesn't get killed. He's fine, right? Uh, and at the very end of the movie, he's like gone full like Kurt's army and uh, Willer just literally pulls him out of line and like takes him with him. But it's like, hey, like it, it turns out that like the privileged white guy gets to survive Vietnam and like all of the black people in this movie don't. And like that means something, <laughs> right? <laughs> He lost his dog, though. The dog that yeah. he stole you know, from the Vietnamese. Part of me has. I mean, they weren't missed. alive when he took it, so it's not like he. he yeah, didn't technically don't follow steal the it. events too far back. Just you know, there was a dog. Um, I part of me has that like movie brain where it's like, if I didn't see the dog's dead body, it might still be alive. But that dog is that dog is toast. That dog is uh, beef in the water. That's that's too bad. But yes, dog's gone. Um. I suppose that's where my discussion points actually end. Uh, I'm looking for confirmation from the rest of the crew that there's nothing else rattling around. Uh, you know, I would like at some point, maybe keep an ear out for like a, a, I know we've got junk drawer, but I feel like that's become prescriptively like your junk drawer thoughts. Uh, maybe there's like a, an emptying the tank section where we just read the rest of the notes we got in case they didn't fit elsewhere in the conversation or in case we didn't get the chance. We to, don't no more know, segments. We can't those. do more segments. No more segments. There can't uh, be unfortunately, more segments. I do have a new segment. I do have a new segment. We, here, but it requires no, 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 no. No effort from the rest of you. No effort from the rest of you. I'll actually open up. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll lead with this new that's section. It, that's the this box. segment is called Other Loves We've Tried, and it's uh, movies we've covered that came out in 1979. I'll just re read the list. It's not Alien, episode 46, about or 36. I think it was 36, about Alien. Episode 53, about the, the Warriors. Movies, episode 143, about Nosferatu the Vampire. 169, about Arabato with Kelly Krantz. Chess of the Wind, episode 182, featuring Natalie Marlin, and episode 243, very recently, The Plumber, part of the Peter Weir series. Hey, was Thank 1979 so the best year for movies? Holy you, listen, shit. Okay, so you just hated this segment <laughs> yeah. before I read it, and then I realized, actually, a lot of good movies we've covered on this podcast were 1979. I guarantee not every episode is going to have a cool lineup like that, but that's like six solid Kramer episodes of the Kramer. podcast. I think really good conversations about really good movies. Uh, but that was a new segment. Uh, that of course requires no effort on anybody else's part. I just mean, a just, quick to, just to say, like, hot take: the fact that Apocalypse Now was the second best movie that came out in 1979 is fucking crazy. Sorry, what was the best movie? Alien. Is it Chester Wins? Alien. Oh. oh, Apocalypse Now is better than Alien. That's not true. <laughs> See, this is this is why we podcast. Uh, oh, what? what? I'll, I'll, I'll shut this down real quick. Um, uh, but that's that was our new segment. Uh, there is another segment that is not new uh, and is a, a little bit long running. It's called uh, the junk drawer. I'm going to open up the junk drawer. Good grief! No, I'm not. I guess junk drawer. <laughs> too many segments. <laughs> no, too many key, just pressing many buttons back there. We have two. <laughs> we have not enough yes, segments. Indeed, we need, <laughs> we need, yes, indeed, folks. We need. Yes, indeed. We need more of them. Uh, and this is one of them. It's called the junk drawer. It's wherever our other thoughts didn't fit from this movie. Um, a lot of it is right there, uh, plain as day. My one junk drawer thought is that when, and it's just a cool thing. I think uh, that that happens in the segments where uh, you were first meeting Kilgore, um, the love the smell of napalm in the morning guy. He's tossing uh, cards, playing cards onto bodies that have been killed so that the Vietnamese, when they come to collect the bodies, know who it is. It's gruesome. It's dire. The whole segment is pretty abhorrent. Uh, but 
there is just a moment where like this movie goes obviously for style, the further it goes on, there's a lot of uh, cool filmmaking techniques that really bring it its own aesthetic and, and, you know, flair. This moment is not one that has a particular flair. It's just sort of like you hear these incredibly uh, violent sounds in the background. You're tracking the characters as they're walking around, tossing these cards. But in one specific moment, as soon as he's handed the pack of cards, he smacks it like a pack of cigarettes and boom, there's a gigantic explosion in the background unadorned aside from that. Uh, and I just felt like in a moment where there wasn't a whole lot of style, where there wasn't a whole lot of flair to be, to be had or heard, uh, the choice to like perfectly sync that up in sound, uh, as like, Oh, this the thing that you don't really know what's going on. He's just smacking a pack of cards before you know why, why they're there, uh, kind of lends, lends it a certain gravitas in that very moment before you again, really know why it's happening and why it's so gross and dire. Um, I found that really, uh, unfortunately very, uh, compelling and entertaining a choice. And I cannot imagine that that was not an intentional director, directorial and sound choice, uh, on the part of the filmmakers. But, um, I will toss off to a co-host Cody, uh, for his junk drawer thoughts. Hi, I'm co-host Cody. That's a good call out, Jason. It's what we in the business call good editing. Uh, I have two probably quick shout outs. One, um, Harry and I saw this at the trial on last night. Shout out to the multiple people in that theater hawking up lungs. Dude, uh, I was so afraid I was going to get sick. There was a guy behind me who was like, I almost was like, bro, should you you. like get out of here maybe? Like we're talking like full on like three to four minute like sustained could not hear Ugh. the movie ass coughing. It was like, bro, are you Kurtz right now? Do you have malaria? Are you dying in the jungle? <laughs> yeah, are you a, a snail trying to to ride along the edge of a blade uh, and failing horrifically at it? Um, <laughs> remains to be seen. Yeah, some guy had the sniffles behind me. Uh, extremely annoying. Uh, fun theater etiquette uh, corner. If you, you if you got the sni- sniffles in a theater, maybe get a napkin or a Kleenex, blow your nose. If you're hocking up along please leave uh nobody wants to hear that um and i hope you get better uh but the other shout out is um in so in when i was in high school uh back where i grew up which i will not name drop because i don't want you to know anything about me but in high school um in my sophomore year specifically we had like block uh there's like a block class you could take it was the honors option for like um like social studies in english um just like notoriously like difficult um and like strenuous class but you learned a lot and when one of the um i guess the the big end of the year project um was like you would get to get it was a group project you would like cover a decade um in like various facets um you know like uh like the so the hit social studies component, you know, um, art, um, history, you know, at all the various academic subjects. And, uh, there were two class, like two groups of this. I had friends on another class, uh, they had the seventies and their first kind of draft of this project was they just, uh, like shot their own version of apocalypse. Now. I mean, they just like, like shot, actual scenes and just did their own kind of like versions of it like line for line <laughs> they're, from the they're like fuck you francis we could do it in like a week two years yeah <laughs> yeah uh it was, yeah i mean i think it was like i mean it was a big project it was they gave us like a, a like a couple months like a, a pretty long to end the <laughs> The teachers told them to to do something else. They weren't uh, huge. They did get uh, a good portion of the way through. I think I still have uh, some files somewhere. I'm not going to share those. I'm just going to go back and watch them for my own enjoyment. Sorry, losers. Um, but that is, 
I just wanted to offer that up. I was watching this movie and I got the, the like the like, um, Lance on the helicopter going, I'm not going, I'm not going. I was just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I had friends that like tried their hand uh at like besting this was it um that had yeah. to have been from inside like a windstar minivan or something with the door slid open when they did that shot that i'm not going i'm not going i'm just imagining I, high schoolers doing that shit i think that scene was actually filmed at like the the top of a slide uh on a playground <laughs> uh and just like, i'm not going i'm not going. and then he goes down the slide uh That's and it's like the, the, like a, a sandbox for when they're on the beach um really really good. private That's, screening yeah. when yeah rent out the uh, trial on when indeed stay tuned don't let's see um uh, i wanted to shout out the uh like love scene in the uh final cut i i think it's really like quietly good and subversive just because like it's ostensibly supposed to be this humanizing moment and instead like it's just yet another portrayal of like how deeply fucked up the ideology and belief system of colonialism and imperialism is like, I don't know if you guys got this from that, but like that fucking the shit that that coming was coming out of that French woman's mouth about how like, Oh, there's two of you. There's one who kills and one who loves. It's like, yeah. Okay. Lady, like whatever you have to say to fucking go to sleep at night. It's like, but that is colonialism, right? It's just like, Oh, like I can just totally like compartmentalize the different, like I can, I can do whatever horrendous acts I need to do to attain this home. And then I can just live in this home and pretend I'm still a, a, the person I thought I was. And it, it's just, I, I love that. It was like, it, it's such a um, characteristic sort of like um, satirical betrayal of expectations, right? Where it's like, you think you're going to get a break from that shit. But in fact, it's like colonialism follows you to the bedroom. <laughs> uh, I thought, I thought that was, uh, that was really good. Um, and really characteristically horrifying. Personally, I want to hear a few of those lines as spoken by Werner Herzog. If I can hear him ask the question, do you know why you can never step into the same river twice? I would, I would pay for a $350 cameo of, of Werner Herzog saying some of the lines that that French woman says in that scene. See that she, she's into Heraclides because uh, the philosophy of colonialism is older even than the philosophy of imperialism. Aaron, we haven't heard from you. You're making a lot of weird faces Apoc- right now. Apocalypse now. All that jazz. He's cooking. He is cooking. Stalker. Castle of Cagliostro. Alien can mm. be fun. That's all I'm saying. That's a, <laughs> fifth best. That's all I'm saying. Fifth best. <laughs> it's funny because aliens. So also, I don't know how you want to deal with Woody Allen, Manhattan. You know, no, we we can know. we can leave them uh, by the wayside. Uh, Castle Cagliostro and, and Stalker are mm, fascinating. Are solid flicks. Ah, Ooh, fuck. those are real solid flicks. One might argue they're both better than Alien. Not now. even the best science fiction film. Not even the best science fiction. Ouch. Uh, well, hey, get them on the podcast, and we can make them part of other loves we've tried. A new segment which we, we we've already put away. We've we put it away. Uh, like yeah. we're about to put away the drunk drawer, um, which has been this whole segment about thoughts that didn't make it into the episode proper, so to speak. Uh, quick, uh, ask for good grief, good grief gifts. Um, uh, there's so much you could. Uh, I will give one option as we're already a little bit over time. Uh, as soon as Willard and I think just Chef is left, maybe Lance's. Yeah, Chef Lance and Willard uh, sort of float into Kurtz's compound um in cambodia and there's just a sea of tribes people uh painted in sort of a stark pale white uh and that is a really long shot and it sort of tracks up and 
arcs to show more of the water and more of the people over the backs of, uh, of, of Willard's head. I find that really obviously pretty iconic shot. Um, but not maybe as iconic as other shots, which is what I look for in a movie is good shots. I haven't seen before. So anyway, uh, that's my good grief. Give me a gif. Um, Aaron, did anything stick out to you? You don't have to have a timestamp. I already have the file. Pig smoke grenade. Pig smoke grenade. The purple haze, baby. That 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 also influenced literally every other film, the war film with like trees in the background was like, damn, what if we found a way to put some pink in here? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that looks really good with green. Yeah. They, good choice. Good choice. They cracked uh, it. Yeah. That- Harry. Um, I mean, it, it's too obvious, right? But him coming out of the mud is really good Um, when he's when he's assuming his final stealth assault on uh, Kurtz. Um, I like the early stuff where his head upside down is superimposed against the napalm burning of a, a rainforest. That would be pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's about it. Cody, I assume you've got a couple looks around. Yeah. yeah I got a cut. Last man standing. Both, yeah. Both of them are actually from the same sequence and aren't too far apart from each other. Just, I, I think kind of like you, Jason, I, I, tried to to find stuff that is either new to me or is not necessarily in the like the collective lexicon of just like this is the like this is the frame that we all recognize as like what encapsulates this film um and it during the um the what do you call it like the playboy bunny sequence um when the uh the cowgirl dressed in blue is like dancing and then it cuts to uh i think it was larry fishburne in the crowd he, he was like he like blew her a kiss um i hope i didn't like have a, a like a fever dream or something and imagine that but i, I think that's a shot that happens um i was trying i wrote it i know the shot you're talking about I, i'm not yeah. sure if that's larry okay. himself but yeah i remember that one good shot okay yeah i just it, i don't frantic like cuts to the performers on stage and then everybody freaking out in the crowd i i lost track of a lot of people but mm, uh, so cody got distracted it, during the movie the scene of the movie with some listen with some boobies. Uh, here's what i have to say about that um my second uh offering is as the helicopter is leaving um just like the the horde of people flooding on stage and the helicopter taking off and people dangling from uh, just like when i hear the phrase apocalypse now and i see that uh that that shot it all just kind of came together but it was something that i didn't remember as being so um like visually evocative compared to all the other stuff that again you would typically take away from this so i that's a lot of great images a lot of great images in that scene um but more seriously a lot of great images in that scene um that i think are worthy for for jiff consideration so those are my submissions more seriously you said as if it was stage direction for me like i pulled up a paper that says say it again more seriously uh well thank y'all for your suggestions for give me a gift that's the segment um you may or may not again the Adobe police are on my ass about some uh, inauthentic copies that may or may not have ended up on my computer um, as a result of my own actions or not my own actions. Uh, but just, I mean, keep an eye on DaVinci stock, DaVinci Resolve, um, good open source off- offering that uh, maybe, you know, they'll, they'll He's get just their own. babbling at this point, folks. What, really, what are really, you even talking about? Like, a little bit. You're like Wheeler talking about the operations that he was part of. I cannot confirm or deny <laughs> that a copy of uh, some Adobe products have made their way onto my computer. <laughs> accidentally with oh hello harper harper's making an appearance by bark uh but we have a final segment an actual final ultimate segment of the show that harry uh must he is chained to me and must needs intro with me uh harry 
All right. Uh, <laughs> this is the subject we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you, gentlemen. That introduction was going up the river to a classified location. And I'm speaking of stage direction. I'm getting uh, the indication from our producer to what's that thing they do in like stand up, which is like a stretch for time. So I'm definitely going to do that. No, just kidding. I, I know we've got uh, people to go in places to see. Um, we, we've got uh, a quick thingy here. Today's premise is actually very straightforward. Apocalypse now. It has a lot of famous quotes. We've said some of them already. Um, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. The horror, the horror, just to name a few. There are, believe it or not, many other quotable movies out there. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to recite one notable quote from cinema at a time. You're going to raise your Zencaster hand once you know the movie. Uh, and if you're quickest to raise your hand, you'll get the first opportunity to guess. And just to try to dissuade folks from gaming the system and just doing it first every time. As soon as I see a hand, I'm going to stop saying the quote. I'm going to stop where I'm at, and you're going to have to issue a guess, motherfuck. Um, apologies for that. We're guessing the movie. You're guessing the movie. Yeah, you're not guessing the actor or the character saying it. You're guessing the movie that the quote is from. Uh, so, yeah, I'll keep an eye on those here. One guess per round. Full name of the movie. Otherwise, you won't get the point. Highest score at the end wins. This is Tripocalypse Love is what I went with. Um, as always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here. If you attempt to Google the answer, I will fucking end you. With that, let's go ahead and jump in. First quote here, I got an eye on the Zen caster hands. You had me at hello. I saw Harry and then Jason. So Harry gets the guest first, and then if Harry does not get it, it will go to Jason. That's Jerry McGuire. That is Jerry Maguire, the movie uh, Cameron Crowe, question mark. I'm not, I don't know why I'm going to, you know what? No unforced errors. I'm just going to say yes or no and move on. Um, but Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Maguire. Uh, so Harry gets the coin. Um, I got seven of these, but as you can see, we'll probably get through these rather quickly. Um, yeah, an odd number because why not? Uh, second quote. <clears throat> A boy's best friend is his mother. Harry with the hand raise. Harry, what you got? That's psycho. Uh, hey, I don't. I take offense to that. Uh, can you guess a, a movie? Yeah, it's psycho. Um, so that is two points for Harry, uh, commanding lead. Like I said, though, there are seven of these. Five more to go, if my math is correct, which it probably is. So very much still anybody's game. Moving along to the third quote. Get your Zen caster fingies ready. <clears throat> you don't understand. I could have had class. I could have. And I'm going to stop there because I see some hands. I see Harry and then Jason. Harry, what's your guess? That's on the waterfront, Cody. Oh, I take offense to that. Now, can you actually get. No, that doesn't actually fit. Yes, on the waterfront is the movie. Uh, Harry really Jason, um, man. now I knew, I knew that one <laughs> and well. we are I'm I lagging I know up. that I, I know that I clicked before yeah. I saw Harry's hand up so morally high ground um but sure yeah blame everybody blame else Aaron provider. I am both meanwhile I've yet to see a hand face from Aaron so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah what the fuck? glass houses I, I, I he's just, taking I a bye week he's taking a bye week like, <laughs> fine. I did know that one was on the water so you know yeah another brand of a point if you want to give it to me 
Uh, not nice. Almost had me. Uh, we'll get there. Maybe Harry's on the board with three, and at this rate, he will get all of the points. So that, but that's me with my humble former stats major extrapolation skills. So take that with a huge grain of salt. Uh, moving along to quote number four, Louis. I think this is Harry Casablanca with a guess. Casablanca. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Friendship, ladies and germs. Harry with another point. That is four Do points. Do we keep playing or is it over? Maybe Aaron needs to get going. We can just say, you know, no, mercy let's rules. Just, no, shut let's, out. I want to see gotta, the other ones. I want to see the other gotta, ones. Yeah, who maybe knows? Maybe will be a type you know, like a maybe the last question will be like six in a row, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If Lightning you can guess round. the if you can guess the, the quote in one word, you will get eight point um you know what? I'm kinda talking myself into that. Let's see what happens. Uh so quote number five. Oh god, and the sun is hitting here. You know what? Hold on. I'm gonna put pull my curtain down. Because the sun is at a weird angle, and I cannot see my screen all that I legitimately don't know if he's doing this as a bit, folks. No, 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 I got it. No, the, the, the okay, we're good. The the sun That's has crazy. sunk what? down. And, Where are what? you? Fucking the sun? Minneapolis, what? Minnesota. A, gr- a great burn, Aaron. Some of your best. Where are you? Next to the light source, asshole? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Fucking God, dick. God, he got my ass. Shit. Shit. Uh, quote number five of seven. <clears throat> we are here to ruin ourselves and to Harry with the guess. That's Moonstruck, Cody. That is Moonstruck, Fuck, never Cody. Seen We're here yeah. to ruin ourselves and to break yeah. our hearts and love the wrong people and die. Second best movie last I, I'm, I'm not even upset <laughs> at that one. That's Harry's movie through and through. I do like that movie quite a bit. Never noticed. Was, that was that Batman? Never came up. It was Vincent D'Onofrio in Men in Black. <laughs> uh, speaking of men um, who are kind of in the black because they haven't got any points on the board yet, uh, Aaron and Jason bringing up the rear. Harry, Harry with a commanding five for five. It might be a Harry sweet. Uh, as, as, well, it, Harry is sweet, but it might be a Harry sweep. Uh, but we do have two more. So we'll see what happens. Don't lose hope. <clears throat> Quote number six. Hope is a mistake. Harry with the hand raise. Sorry, Jason. Uh, this is Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> it is Mad Max Fury Road. Hope is a mistake. If you well, can't fix what's broken, folks, you'll, uh, you'll go insane. All right. That is six points for Harry. The last quote, um, a, a Mackin sweep is what's at stake here. So keep those Zencaster fingies stretched and lubricated. I regret that. Our final quote. I don't have friends. I got family. Harry with the hand raise. That's Fast and Furious. The Fast and the Furious, excuse me. The Fast and the Furious is not correct. Okay, we need to, Jason and uh, I need to strategize. Okay, wait, 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 because which? I, I'm not going to know the number. Um, I'm going to assume that it's later on because they really leaned into the family phrasing later on in the series. I'll let you take another stab, I, but I'm at I least going to go. Gonna go yeah. Everybody Fate gets one guess. Furious. Fate of the Furious is Aaron's guess. Fate of the Furious is incorrect. So uh, Jason is the la- lone remaining co-host with a guess. I'm going to say... Um, Can I invite Jason? Oh, okay. No, I didn't oh, guess. Okay. Is I that would, a no? I would love to do it. Mm. 
No, no one in the advising. Um, I, I don't know. Shit, I don't care. I mean, the, Harry already won. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I think, Jason, I think, look, I'm trying to get you on the board here. I think go nine, right? I was about to go nine, but I, I don't know. That doesn't sound familiar. I've seen that one recently, and I... I feel like if he was going to do nine, he would do the one where he was like, God is always with you, and I will always be with you. The one where he basically implies <laughs> that he's God. Do you remember that line? I really love that part of that movie. Good movie. Mm. Sure, whatever. Look, I feel like seven or nine. You know what I mean? Fast, fast. It's not I two. Like, it's not three. Could, could be, be four. four but that's Nobody remembers four. Now, it's too early. Too I'll early. Say fast too early. Nine. I forget. Is there a subtitle that one? Does that count? Uh, I think it's just fast, fast nine. F nine. F nine. Fast nine is the guess. The actual retail price of this quote is. Furious Seven. Oh God! Furious Seven. seven. See, and it, what sucks is that if he would have done that's a good bit. That's, that's the thing about street question. fights: the street always wins. I would have gotten that one right away. Oh, of course, <laughs> right. as oh, we yeah. all would have, of course. But yes. uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't and remember the actual. Yeah, God, that's a great. That's a cinematic so, so moment. Fucking good, dude. That is a mythological. You know that is... he becomes Heracles in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, right, I, d- right, I decided Harry. to sidestep away. I, I sidestepped away from the the Fast Suck and Furious movies dick. that um, that talked well, about race that the wars. Roman pronunciation. Uh, Maybe hop up off my dick. You're not even saying the Greek pronunciation. You're saying the Roman pronunciation. Who? What are you talking about? Hercules is Isn't an American Heracles... pronunciation. Heracles is just the way everybody except Americans pronounces it. I thought Heracles specifically was the Roman I, name. I don't actually know, but I. Uh, you're yeah, I can't remember. But yeah, I, you, might, you might, thought might. it was like an Aries slash Mars thing where they sort of like right. romanticized all Jupiter of Jupiter slash Zeus. Yeah. 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 Those fucking bastards. Look at all those marble statues. Hey, listener, look at every marble statue. Every marble statue you've ever seen, it's a copy of a Greek original. It's uh, not the original. The original was made out of brass. The original thing was uh, And they were quite colorful. Okay, was really was the Roman. You're correct. My bad. Got him. Tried to come My after bad. he tried I'm to come after the get, king. <laughs> I, I shouldn't That's have doubted. I'm, I'm seeing the stage direction. It says stretch for time. This is Thank you so Jason, much for listening. Jason stopped what he was doing, which was shedding lamb meat off of a spit onto a pita <laughs> in order to, to donor is not the Greek word, but yes, I was, it was I had a <laughs> lamb donor in the back. Thank you so much for listening to uh, Try Love. It's a literal roundtable podcast. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter at Try Love Cinema. Try Lon Pod. Oh my God, Try Love Podcast. One of these turning it violets is. is enough to turn me violet. Um, check us out at uh, Try Love Podcast. Check the Try Lon out at Try Lon Cinema. Uh, we have many, many of these episodes that end this a uh, very fun way with uh, Cody's Noties games at the end. Check them all out uh, in the feed. Anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find us. Uh, I challenge you to prove me wrong on that. Uh, just send me an ad and I'll submit it somewhere. Uh, check us out there. Check out the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Um, check out the Larry Fishburne series uh, playing here in November at the Trilon or go to their website and find out what else is playing. Uh, get in touch with us at Trilon Podcast. If you want to see uh, any movie and talk about it with us, we are actually notorious for bringing on many many guests onto the show we recently had one hosted entirely by people who aren't us so check it out uh, and check us out uh, wherever you are check me out if you want at uh, nintendoofus on twitter 
Hello, Jason. Issuing challenges to people who might be listening to this. Um, don't challenge me because I am sensitive, but you can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison and Twitter if you have to uh, at Cody underscore BH. I've been Cody Narvison. Uh, yeah, I'd reiterate what Jason said. We love having guests. So if you're actually listening to this podcast, hit us up because we'd probably love to have you as a guest unless you're a uh, fucking weirdo. But, you know, uh, a weirdo in a bad way. If you're a good weirdo, we'd love to have you. But you, you know, know who you are. You know who yeah. you are. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. I'm Aaron. Arb, please, on Twitter. See ya. Air Trilove. Those boys just couldn't stay put. The end. <laughs> <laughs>